welcome back for another episode of the Big Red Louie podcast. I am the host of this podcast, Jacob Lane, joined tonight by my good friend and producer, Alex Stengel. It's just the two of us tonight, no no special guest. So you, you're stuck with just the two of us. Alex, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm, uh, I have been profusely sweating uh, almost within my own home because I'm upstairs That's a- in my home office. And it is just between the humidity and the heat that rises up here. It has been insane. Interesting. Well, I don't I need to complain to right off the bat. I don't want to make this a negative <laughs> How podcast. are you? I'm sweaty. Like, that's that's how you could have started I just that, want to be that's... honest with you and the five people listening because we don't have a guest on tonight. So. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you for tuning in. And if you're going to continue to listen and, and understand that Alex is sweaty, we appreciate you doing so. We've got a lot to get into tonight. There's actually some news and a lot of things to react to because – the last two times, Alex, that we've gotten together, we've had some special guests on the show, uh, really the last three times with Coach Mack and then followed up by Will Reddington and then obviously last week with Mike Rutherford and Keith Wynn. Uh, so I want to react to some of the big recruiting wins for basketball and football, and there's some other fun stuff I want to get to tonight. But I want to start by um, talking about something that if anybody is willing to, to engage in conversation with me, I, I could go on for hours, Alex. Uh, you, are, you can uh, provide a testament to this that – I will literally talk Kanye West with anybody who wants to talk Kanye West. I am uh, unabashful in my uh, love for him as a musician. People want to throw out that argument all the time to me that, well, he's such a terrible person. Look, man, I I could care less. The music is what I'm interested in. And he produced uh, or he put out some new music yesterday, some surprise Kanye. I love surprise Kanye because normally, Alex, I'm falling victim to the Kanye saying there's Kanye coming and then the Kanye never shows up. But there is Kanye music, and I am a happy man. You love him to the point to where it's exhausting as, as a friend because the amount of energy it takes to defend him within our, our Big Red Louie Ryder chat group, it's amazing. Like you, Jacob will go, to, will go to bat every single time. Anybody that makes even a mediocre comment about Kanye West, it doesn't even have to be negative. It just has to be like, that song was eh, that song was whatever – instantly jacob's in there you just don't understand it it's it's too deep for you to get and that's okay like you come in there as in like i enjoy it and i really do like this new song i'm not i'm not trying to hate but i think i'm just not as passionate about Kanye west as you are and that's okay all i have to do is that's understandable the good thing is uh, my best friend tyler who has been uh, a good friend of mine for now almost 13 or 14 years is uh, the same level of fandom so at least i have one person to communicate with. right there you go. Uh, because my wife is indifferent, right? She's like, okay, some of his music's good. A lot of it's trash. Right, yeah. Don't, don't bother me unless that. you – yeah, don't bother me if it's not something that you think I'm going to love. Uh, whereas Ethan, who writes for Big Red Louie and is the face of the villains, uh, and the, uh, I would argue the most the, – the person that I've seen on TV more than any human being in my entire life. Um, but he is also a huge Kanye West fan, and we are able to talk about Kanye West and – you know what? When you're a Kanye West fan, you have to put up with some of the, the stuff, right? There's, there's the, like I said, there's the arguments of him being a very, not a very nice person and example after example. But if you want to go pound for pound, uh, who is the most gifted musical genius of my lifetime? I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to die it's, on the hill. It's of the it's guy Kanye swapping West. heads with Elon Musk. It is. And that's the thing I want to get into. Alex, you sent me this just a few minutes ago. This has got to be one of the most expensive photos ever, right? In terms of overall wealth, I looked it up. Elon Musk is worth 
Uh, we'll get to, I'll let you describe the picture, but the, 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 what we're going to talk about is Elon Musk and Kanye West in a, in a picture together in the middle of a pandemic, right? This is weird when two people link up uh, and they're, they're publicly taking pictures with each other, but $45.9 billion is how much Elon Musk is worth and 90 million is what Kanye is projected to be. I think that was in 2012. So that's a pretty, uh, pretty expensive picture there. He always hangs out in the wildest circles. I'll put it like, Kanye, I'll give him that. Like his business savviness over the years, because he just seemed to deal with Gap as well. I think I even texted you about that, because I was like, from a business standpoint, he's like, holy shit, because I think it was like a hundred, it was like a ten mil or a hundred mil ten year contract with Gap. Are you referring to Elon Musk signing a contract with Gap? No, 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 no. He looks Con- like he would wear Kanye. Gap. Okay, Kanye fine. just. So I'm saying between that and adidas he has brought adidas sneakers back from the dead let's face it i mean they were getting beat by nike pretty bad and i think the his brand alone has has come out and been one of the most bought shoes but either way so this house is insane and i don't know if you've looked at this photo in a second but i'm trying to figure out like the stat there's like a cyborg ballerina statue of glass or crystal or something. Yes, there is definitely it's something intense, behind them. Who do we awesome. know whose whose house? Okay, so it says all right for the people who haven't seen this picture. It's a a side by side picture of Elon Musk and Kanye West, and this it looks like a multi million dollar home. Uh, and behind Kanye West, kind of peeking out to the side, is this glass crystal looking figurine statue that is taller than Kanye West. Uh, I, I'm yeah, gonna guess that probably. Like- that's more, Westworld vibes from it. Yes, and I think that that statue alone, Alex, is probably worth the more than the two of us combined over our lifetime in right. terms I don't of know. earnings to cost. Do you think this is like a like an announcement for a new Kanye West fashion line? Like, do you think he's going like is this a statement for for his fashion, or do you think this is just a this is a strong, powerful pose photo with no context or background? I, th- I like the I, I love the, 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 the boys with there. the orange. The boys with the orange is amazing. I love the. I think I love the text as much as I love the photo. Yeah, I, I mean the the picture is is amazing in itself. And then on top of that, you have Kanye retweeting the picture uh, with their head swapped, and they look like bobbleheads. It's the weirdest what, thing. And honestly, it took me a few minutes looking at it to even realize that it was photoshopped. And then after it, now I can't I can't stop looking. It's like a car accident. I cannot stop looking at this. That's what friends do. Like when you're boys, you just you do you do random random stuff like that. Part of me has wanted to become a graphic designer simply for the stuff that I could do for the show in terms of swapping our heads on each other's bodies or putting them on other people's bodies or putting other people's bodies on other people's bodies and other people's heads on other people's bodies. Like that's why I want to learn graphic design is so that I can make pictures like this. That is the sole reason. That sounds like a hell of a career. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into our first topic of the evening, and uh, this is kind of – I don't know if you've kept a close tabs on this or not, Alex, but uh, it, it popped up today on my Twitter timeline that uh, to this day, July 1st, uh, 2014, so six years ago, Louisville joined the ACC. It feels like – I don't know about you, but it doesn't really feel like it's been either like a short time or a long time. Like it, it, right. It's kind of like there's still some newness to it because you're still in football. You're still playing schools for the first time, right? You're going to play Virginia Tech this year for the first time since you joined the conference. Basketball kind of, you know, you've been up and down with Duke and some of the other programs in there. And and Louisville's not really done much in the ACC tournament yet since they've been in there because of, you know, they've lost early or whatever the case is. But 
it snuck up on me. Six years is just, it's crazy to think that it's been six years. Uh, and a lot has taken place. And I don't know if, I know you didn't go to L, but if, if you've driven down by there, I know you live not far. You've yeah. seen the, the transformation that that school has made um, from when I was a student in 2015 to now. Right. Unbelievable. I think anybody driving the highway, like growing up, right? Because like you always, like there's that part of 65 where you always just kind of looked over the campus, especially if you weren't the one driving. So you could actually like look at different things, but. Right. But and then you the had the years, dog, the dog food factory right off oh, of the highway dude, or whatever it was. I'm not even sure if that's what it was. Was yeah, it a dog cement, food factory? I, I have no idea. I'm not even going to guess. I know it's online and people still tweet about it and whatnot, but either way. But they like, were beautiful silos. I got to tell you so that. Cool. Yeah, it was intimidating. It was awesome. It was, it was like, welcome to Louisville, bitch. Here. But either way, but you knocked those down. I thought it was the worst decision ever, right? Like I was a kid and I was like, that makes no sense. Now it just looks like an empty campus. And then all of a sudden Tom Jersh comes in and just starts building like facility after facility after facility, connects them all. It looks amazing. And then obviously we have scandals. And so he's out. But regardless, the landscape of the school over the last 10 to 15 years has been incredible. For anybody that's, you didn't even have to go to school. You're right. It was just growing up in Louisville. Um, it's easy to see the transformation, even if you just drive by the highway. All right. So interesting. I just looked this up because I vaguely remembered this, but U of L didn't take ownership of those silos until what year was this, that this article was written in 2014. So those yeah. were torn down uh, after 2014. And if, I don't know if you've ever heard this, so this, this could be one of those things. I'm going to toss this out there into the, the world and I'm going to either be told that that's not true and you're an idiot or people are going to say, yeah, that definitely was a thing. But I had always heard that Jurich bought that land uh, through the university foundation to eventually build a basketball arena on campus. Uh, I had always heard that he had a fascination with being a school that had a, a basketball arena on campus. Um, and obviously the Yum Center had opened by that time. So there, there really was, there was really no path to that happening. But if you remember, right. there was a ton of conflict with university of the, and the, the university of Louisville and the KFC Yum Center about revenue and how the, the split was going to go. And George always had in his back pocket, that ability to buy that land uh, and then build something on it. And I, maybe I am crazy, but I know I have heard that from multiple people. I'd be curious to hear uh, if anybody else knew more, or if there was legs to that, because I really don't remember much from, from that happening outside of being told that. But I mean, it makes sense though, right? Like that, that was a hot topic, even amongst fans was, do you really like, there's so many fans that, that really didn't like the move from Freedom Hall to, you know, the edge of downtown. Um, Which I, I mean, my, true, but there was yeah, no it, reason to stay in Freedom Hall. Like, I no, mean, it was either absolutely. you build an arena on, on your campus, which at the time, right. When they're, when Freedom Hall is being talked about, you know, uh, being the building that they're no longer playing in and a new arena is built, um, you know, it, it, it was, there was a lot of discussion around it. And at the time they, they didn't own the property on the silo. So there was nowhere to put an arena on campus. And that, I, I think that had to have played a huge part in them ultimately building an arena downtown. But I, just, it's interesting to see the little things that have changed with, with Louisville since 2014 uh, and honestly, there's been since Louisville joined the ACC and Maryland left for the Big Ten, there's been no other moves in the ACC. And I've seen a lot of discussion and conversation around the the idea that 
schools and conferences are going to be so hurt for revenue and for money to make up for, you know, potentially a, a year without any revenue, right? If we go from March of this year into March of next year um, and, and maybe football's not played or it's played with no fans, like schools are going to be losing record amounts of money. We've already seen sports yeah. cut at schools, but it's, it's brought the idea back to the forefront of realignment. And there's been just as much conversation about, you know, maybe the power five schools in football break away from the NCAA and do their own thing. But the realignment talk is interesting to me because Louisville was the last domino. I mean, you've had a couple of other schools, not to keep cutting you off. I'll give you the floor here. No, 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 you're good. There's been other schools that, uh, smaller schools that have realigned and the, uh, some of the conferences in, in the, the mid-major department or the non-power five schools have, have taken new shape. And, and obviously right now you've got UConn moving back to the big East, but uh, I don't know about you, but I, I'm interested to, to see if the ACC decides to go uh, and add two more schools or maybe even go all the way up to 20 um, in light of, you know, schools needing money and ACC having the, the ACC network and um, you know, the, the revenue that can come from that. What are your thoughts on, on potential realignment? And is there a school in your mind that kind of jumps out as like, that's the school they have to go after them. Uh, I mean, I'm down to discuss it. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, even with the current cutbacks. Um, I think there's too much other things to worry about to put that in the forefront. Um, I think that's something you definitely need to consider in the next probably like three to four to five years. But I mean, in the next two to three, it's going to be all about, um, you know, getting still like adjusted to the pandemic and in the processes around that, especially with sports and athletics. Um, but my team, like, it, it makes sense because we've talked about that a little bit in the chat group. And, and I really like the idea of adding, um, you know, I think Cincinnati would be a great addition. I think you, I think UCF would be awesome. That would just be a really cool uh, addition in the ACC as well. Uh, so you gotta, I mean, I mean, you have a couple options, um, but it's weird, right? Cause what do you do with uh, the, the smaller schools, right? Because you, you start picking the best schools from the mid-majors and then those conferences just, the gap is only going to widen, you know? And so you're, you're talking about the discussion of, of, of the mid-majors and the group of five coming to the table when it comes to national championship, um, you know, opportunities, which is why you want to expand the playoffs and things like that. But yeah, you start picking off the Cincinnati's of the world and, and each conference like that is going to start hurting if, if that's how the realignment is going to go. Because you know the ACC doesn't want to just pick up any random team that right, happens absolutely. to be on the East Coast. So I, I want to answer the, the question that I asked you here in a second, but I want to first toss this up because I find this riveting. I saw a little bit of this today on uh, ESPN's talk shows and a little bit yesterday, but but Pat Forty wrote a great article for SI.com about potentially uh, reshaping the entire way that college football looks in terms of conferences in this post-COVID world where, where universities are still trying to figure out um, how to get back to the revenue levels that they were at. And he recommends this uh, division-type uh, break for college football into what is one, two, three, four, five. So 10 conferences over the FBS – uh, and he, he breaks them into regions, right? So it's the the Deep South, the Great Mid Mid, mid East, the Great Midwest, Mid American, Mid Atlantic, and the there is no uh, in these conferences there is no Power Five versus non Power Five, and th th this will never happen because of that. But uh, right. in this conference, this 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 faux 
conference realignment, Pat Forty suggests a new conference made called the Mid-American that includes Illinois, Kentucky, Louisville, Marshall, Middle Tennessee, Northern uh, Illinois, Northwestern, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Western Kentucky, and West Virginia. So they're taking schools that are regional uh, and kind of – they're kind of the way that they're drafting them is in terms of like, you, okay, you get a top tier team and then you can get a middle tier team and then you can get a couple of teams that are here and a couple of teams that are there. Yeah, Like what do you uh, do like competing revenues and stuff though? You know, I mean, that's, and that's interesting I, I know because, those would, those would boost the schools that, that need it, but like, that's still going to be nowhere near like a Louisville and Adidas contract for like $160 million and, and an athletic foundation that has, you know, 10 times what, um, you know, in Northern Illinois or somebody has, I'm just, I don't know numbers, but I just assume right. that we generate I mean, the, more revenue than, than they would. So there how, would absolutely be a discrepancy, but at the same time though, Louisville probably generates, I'd have to look at the ACC breakdown, but I would, I would be willing to bet that Louisville generates far more than say a Boston college or, or a, um, uh, gosh, I can't even, a, a Wake Forest, right? Because they're yeah. just a much bigger football and basketball school, but, Here's I mean, why they've this had one work. of the top revenues in basketball. What year after year, they're in the top uh, yeah, five. exactly. They're they're one of the top earners across all college sports. Right. I'm not I'm not I'm not mistaken, and a big part of that is because of basketball revenue. But this is this is why this won't work, right? So you have a division that's titled the Yankee Division, where your schools are from the Northeast, and it's Army, Boston College, Buffalo, UConn, Maryland, UMass, Rutgers, Syracuse, Temple, Navy, Penn State, and Pittsburgh. Yuck. There is no network that is buying that package uh, and trying to sell that to fans because it's not it's unattractive. And it goes back to the idea of, you know, I, I like the idea of re regionalization and regionalizing college sports kind of the way it was for years um, in the, the 50s, 60s and 70s before it became kind of this big national game. And, and before you had kids that were from Los Angeles go to Ohio State and kids from Florida that are going to USC. Um, so I like that idea. And for the, to get back to the ACC conversation, and I suggested this early in our group, and, and I don't think anybody necessarily disagreed, but I think the school that makes the most sense is not Cincinnati, not even Memphis. It's West Virginia. That is yeah. West Virginia is in ACC territory. Uh, and, and the argument I make there, um, it, it's, it's, you cut out a lot of money and expenses of traveling from West Virginia to Oklahoma to Texas. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, some of these, these places that are all the way Colorado, all these places right. across the country, yeah, it's, it's a it, it makes no sense when you look at the geography and West Virginia is competitive in both football and basketball year after year. Um, you know, I know obviously for Louisville fans, that's not a fan base that they enjoy being around or no, traveling but it's a passionate to. Exactly. And, and it's a school that, you know, Louisville's got familiarity with most of these schools in the, in the ACC have familiarity with from Big East days. Um, and so I think it's a perfect fit. And I can see a scenario in the next couple of years where maybe it's not, maybe it's the SEC or maybe it's uh, the Big Ten or the Big 12. Somebody's going to try to, to be the, the conference that makes the leap and gets another school. Uh, because My buddy. Have, oh, yeah, no, go ahead. I, no, go ahead. I cut you off. That was, I was just going to say you have these these mid-major schools that are rising through the ranks in Central Florida and Memphis and, and yeah. even App State to an extent, these schools are in the top 25 and they're playing in these conferences where they are never going to get the chance to compete right. yeah. at the highest level. So you take it, what, who says that the ACC doesn't say, you know, let's, let's go into the state of Tennessee. Uh, we really want to try to make a splash. Let's go 
get Memphis because that's a new revenue generator for us. Uh, or, you know, if West Virginia says, Hey, we need a, we, we want to come back to the, to the East coast, the ACC takes them and then tries to convince Notre Dame. Like it's, it's feasible to me that the ACC uh, could either be one of the conferences that is domino effect and they have, they have to realign or that they get ahead of the game and they say, you know, Memphis is out there. They're a really good football program. Let's go add them and then get another plan to, to add a Notre Dame or maybe add an app state or add somebody like West Virginia to the fold uh, and take the next step as a conference. Right. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I think, like I said earlier, my initial worry would just be the conference disparity, like for the ones left behind is, is like the, but that's the whole thing. You'd have to do it all at once, right? It'd be like no school left behind almost. If you're going to realign one region of the country, you're going to have to realign almost everything else. It's almost like a domino effect. But um, no, I was going to tell you, speaking of West Virginia, I, I, I don't think I've ever told you this. So this is funny. Uh, back when we played them, uh, my buddy made me a shirt. It's the dumbest shirt I've ever, I don't, I think it's gone. I threw it away or something, but either way, it was just a giant F in the middle. And then under it was like pits noggle. And it's just, I wore it. I love it. I love it. But as a West Virginia fan, oh yeah, true. But a West Virginia fan would see that. And I feel like they would appreciate you wearing that shirt. Even, well, I don't know. West Virginia fans are crazy. I've heard stories about them throwing coins and like throwing things at at fans, not even just Louisville, but just fans in general. Oh yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of Louisville fans who grew up watching West Virginia and traveling to West Virginia have stories. But the one thing that I will never forget the blackout game with West Virginia, obviously, but, the the chance uh, when when Louisville played against West West Virginia on the road with Rick Pitino as head coach and they they chanted Uncle Jerry Jerry Smith I still to this day think that is one of the most clever chants I have ever heard. Like he looked like an old man. Like he looked like he was in his fifties out there balling. Like he could have played in the in the the Big Three the next day and I would not have batted an eye because of no. the way that he looked and it was just the perfect cheer. But let's move on. Speaking of West Virginia and Rick Pitino. Uh, Rick Pitino tweeted something. I don't know if you follow him, Alex, but he is an and he is a great follow. Uh, the the Petito the Petito thing or whatever that was years ago, like that's a thing of the past. We're past that. He's actually tweeting good stuff, um, and well, he's become he an just, entertaining follow. He fired his media team. You know he you know he had to hire somebody for like when he first got on there. He's like, you guys handle it, and then he's just he's like, what the hell are you guys doing? I'm getting made fun of. Well, no, I, I'm I'm gonna start following though. From this point on, I'll follow him as because I'm really interested in Iona as well. Absolutely, I think that Iona is going to be an interesting thing to pay attention to, um, like watching the, how the fan base reacts to Iona having a big game or beating somebody or getting destroyed. Like, what's the general narrative from the fan base? But he tweeted something, and I find this really interesting. And I think that uh, we're going to see more things happen like this with basketball. We've seen this for months now with college football. Um, but he, he's tweeting a what he believes to be a potential uh, scenario should the NCAA decide that the pandemic that is going on in COVID-19 has too much threat to them and their students uh, and their mission that they must uphold a student athlete first, that yeah. if that's going to be compromised, then maybe there's an opportunity to still play a season but have it look a little bit differently. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Chris Mack told us that they they – put the armed forces classic on hold for a year because traveling to Cincinnati to play John Brennan made more sense financially traveling wise uh, to be able to get games in. And I think that that's going to become the narrative or this big storyline is scheduling. And how do you do all of that? That's the one thing that's not been talked 
about enough with seasons happening is traveling state to state. But this is Rick Pitino's suggestion. You tell me what you think of this. So here's what his tweet says. Suggestion to the NCAA, which if the NCAA is listening to Rick Pitino, (laughs) I mean, the the irony in that alone. Push the start of the season back to January and only play league games. Buy more time for a vaccine and to get things under control. Although I can't wait to be back on the sidelines, the health of my players and staff is what's really important. And he is, he's right. Uh, the one thing that I don't know if you're following the NBA right now, but a lot of talk is going on about their coaches. You know, you have guys like Craig, Greg Popovich or even Rick Pitino who are in their 60s and 70s, and that is the at-risk population. But in your mind, does that type of scenario make sense where maybe you don't play your non-conference games this year, you take out the traveling to Las Vegas and New York, and you stay – uh, home and you, where you're able to can kind of control your own bubble and have this extended uh, camp. Maybe you do some regional preseason games or something like that. But then no, I, only playing your your conference schedule, which for them and the MEAC, that's a very regionalized Northeast conference. Whereas the ACC, you've got Miami all the way to Syracuse. Like it really right. does extend the coast. Um, so what do you think on that? I, in my opinion, I. I like the idea. I don't think it's feasible, though. Um, I definitely understand the concern, and it's just one of the many that are stacking up right now before the NBA season tries to get underway because we're seeing it starting to crumble a little bit underneath them. Um, I, I think the, the outline of what they were trying to do made sense, right? But then you start taking the, the small external things into factors, like you mentioned, because uh, you know not every player is going to – adhere to all the regulations they're going to throw at them and then you have staff and then everything else and so yeah if everyone keeps thinking you know I've heard so many fans and it's kind of frustrating hearing it over and over again if this is the general thought but like when I hear fans say that the kids are young and they're very athletic and so it won't even you know like it'll be like a cold to them I'm like it's not them I'm worried about it's them giving it to like the older people within the athletic department or within that organization um, because you don't know for days and then, and then who knows how many people that goes on to. So I think it's just the chain reaction of uh, one, the country already hasn't handled that great uh, to begin with. And so just pushing sports, especially at a time right now um, that the country's at, I just, I agree with a lot of the players that say like, this isn't the right time. You know, we need to, focus on other things. So I, I definitely see both sides. I, I understand the business aspect and the loss of revenue and everything like that, but I also get the, the players' opinions as well. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I am not going to ever sit here and act like I know what to do or what the best situation would be for playing a season in the middle of a pandemic. Because to me, the thing I keep going back to across all sports is it's a, all sports are contact sports for the most part, besides golf and, yeah. and some of the other things we're seeing right now. Um, even golf, it's 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 getting bad. Yeah, like they're canceling because right. their caddies have it. I mean, like, it's, how do you play a football season where you have, you know, uh, potentially at any given time you have 150 plus people on the field uh, between two teams and, and potentially even more, close to 200 people or 300 people even, you know, because if you have 85 players plus walk-ons plus coaches plus support staff plus trainers, like the list goes on and on with basketball, it's a little bit easier because there's less people, but still, like, there is no way to avoid contact in any of those sports and we're seeing what happens when you start to test athletes like people are they're testing positive just as much as regular people are and so for college basketball how how do you justify in the middle of flu season 
Um, it, it, you know, there, there's obviously been some speculation about what could be in, in that type of season with, with COVID if there's no vaccine. And how do you justify traveling to, uh, like I said, like a Las Vegas? How do they do that? You, you can't because then you have to get on an airplane. You can't take a bus that far. If you've got to get on an airplane. You're taking, you're, you're losing control of that bubble. You've got to talk about right. quarantining when you get to a new city. Like there's all these things that have to go into place. Uh, and I think Rick Pitino's idea makes a ton of sense. It's not feasible for the ACC. It's not feasible for the Big 12. It's not feasible even for the Pac-12 to an extent. Um, well, I a, think what you're going to – go ahead. No, no, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. I was going to say that's the whole thing with, with these older coaches. Like the older coaches have had – a lot of these guys have had really long, great careers, right? So it's not like Rick Pitino is going to risk his life just to coach one more time at Iona. You know, like Greg Popovich yeah, has won multiple championships. You know, he can right. hang it up if he wants. It's not life or death for him. Uh, like some of these players are seeing it that really want to get back out on the court. And that's the whole thing. And especially when we talk about the football thing. Yes, what if you have a key player that gets tested positive a week before a really big game? What happens if the coach gets it, right? Like, are you going to be like a Hugh Freeze and just like coach from like a quarantined box up in – up in the stadium? Like, how is that going to work? So there's so many questions I have, not just from a player perspective, but from like a coaching staff perspective, you know, because to, to your point, the older you get, uh, yeah, the more susceptible you are and during flu season, because apparently this whole, the actual the virus, it just attaches to whatever thing you have, right? And just makes that thing much worse, uh, as far as I understand. So like underlining conditions, all that stuff. So if you already have the flu, then if you catch that, I mean, it's only going to be worse. So, you're, yeah, the timing is just terrible. There is no good way to go about planning any type of sports right now because of everything that's happened, and we're seeing that with the NBA. And so, I, you know, I don't know how college sports justifies playing when, when schools probably aren't going to be in session. Uh, you know, there's others going to probably be some sort of, and I'm not trying to speculate into what states are going to do in terms of opening reopen, but there's going to be some travel guidelines at some point if we're continuing to see the cases rise like we have been the last two weeks. Uh, I think Rick Pitino's suggestion could lead to something, though. What if you play in pods, uh, you know, regionally, even if it's not the same conference for a year? What if you put Kentucky, Indiana, Murray State, Moorhead State? What if you regionalize some of these 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 states that have 20, 30, 40 schools in them. North Carolina has more schools in that state for how small it is than uh, I, I bet any other state of similar size. I mean, it's crazy. Why not right. regionalize some of the season to where you can play teams locally uh, and then maybe shoot for some kind of, you know, big tournament in March or April, or, uh, you know, maybe you just do, a, a, you, a, you know, go from regional to more like Midwest and, and bigger, you know, kind of open your map up. I think that that's something that's going to have to be in play if there is any type of season. But I just, I don't see a way that they play any sports this year. I just don't. I think that's a really interesting thought, though, is temporary conference realignment, right? Like, see how it goes almost from a competitive standpoint. Because, yeah, if you keep it and just say, guys, you know, like for, for just a year, just to keep you guys having a season and play other teams like this is what we're going to do. And then to your point, maybe have some sort of tournament, but yeah, like if, if they canceled last year's NCAA tournament and that was just at the beginning of this thing, like you're not going to start up a whole nother NCAA tournament. If this thing extends into the winter uh, and, and past and beyond. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, I, I, it's, I mean, right. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, 
to try to even wrap your mind around it, I mean, for the NBA to come up with 121 pages of protocol is amazing. Uh, and it, it's, you know, it's kudos to having access to the best resources and the best doctors and people to tell you what to do. Uh, for the NCAA, you're not talking about millionaires and paid athletes. You're talking about, uh, I'll call it is free labor. You're talking about free labor. Uh, obviously, these kids have something in it for them, right, to go to the next level or to, to whatever their next step in life is. But to try to, to I mean, I, I saw a tweet today from a linebacker from Illinois. They want to know why schools aren't taking this seriously and why, you know, Louisville is, in terms of leadership, they are far and above handling this better than anyone out there that you've seen. I mean, they have been the least controversial program, and they were the first one to have players back. So, you know, I, I just don't know how a season takes place this year. And, you know, you think maybe the thing I keep going back to is the, the money, like they have to play. But, you know, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more suggestions for college basketball like we have with football being talked about moving it to the spring or, uh, you know, like I said, like or even like you said, temporary uh, realignment with conferences to play a regional game where you can at least get six games in. Uh, or at four at this point. I'm, I'm sure, you know, the students and the, the coaches just want to get in as many as they can, even if it's not 12. I think we can just, all agree they're not playing 12 games this year. Just coin it the COVID conferences. Yeah, right. That's what and, I and like, put it, just put COVID some kind conference of asterisk one, on it. COVID conference two, just like Hunger Games shit. That's all I'm saying. Just for you. Yeah, it, see how it works. it'll be unfortunate to be the conference. Be COVID-19, to that conference. Like, nobody wants to be that one. Right. <laughs> Hopefully we don't get to 19 conferences, but yeah. So, all right, well, let's speaking of Louisville basketball and and talking about a season, I want to talk about recruiting because that's one thing with, with football and even basketball, we've seen it, but that's kind of been the storyline primarily through uh, the entire pandemic. And obviously it's been a dead period through all of it, but there's still been commitments left and right and recruiting news. But um, since the last time we, we talked as a podcast, so that would have been two and a half weeks ago without guests about recruiting, um, Louisville did not have a commitment from L. Ellis. They did have Bryce Hopkins and Bobby Pettiford, uh, but since then they've landed the, the nation's top JUCO player uh, again. I, we did talk about it a, a little bit the other night with with Keith and Mike, but uh, the, the, like the question here, Alex, is like, why did we ever doubt Chris Mack? I've been guilty of it at times. Uh, obviously, there's a there's an opinion from a fan base that. Uh, he can't recruit or that he isn't a good in-game adjuster, whatever the, the, the narrative is that you have on him. It's it's out there. But why did we ever doubt him? We're talking about Louisville sitting as the number two recruiting class. It is just July, so I'm not willing to go crazy here and talk about give the man another 14 years and crown him the king of Louisville. But for him to have the number two class with the FBI or with an NCAA investigation hanging over the program's head, why did we ever doubt the man? I don't understand. Well, I, I think similar to Satterfield's start, um, you know, it's just the smaller conference guys getting a bigger chance uh, to see what they can do because, I don't know, maybe Louisville fans are still, you know, shook from um, Craig Thorpe. I, you know, I, like just the mid-major guys or smaller conference guys coming up to an elite or a more elite program uh, – especially from a recruiting standpoint and how competitive it is now. And, and you have to – recruiting is not like it was even 10 years ago, you know, especially 20 years ago. So, I mean, the, the social media aspect, uh, all the design – like you just mentioned, um, you wanted to get, get into graphic design. How many edits a day do you see of recruits online? A lot. Like the, and the, the stuff these staffs I, have I really to do like is it. insane. Right. Yeah. 
So the, the amount of work it takes, and especially like you just mentioned, when your program is still under FBI investigation, well, was under an FBI investigation, um, NCAA investigation, you name it. I mean, we're still not out of the woods. We haven't found out our punishment. And he's still putting together really, really nice classes that it's just not him trying to get the, the, the best kid he can, you know, like the highest ranked kid. He's getting guys that actually fit his system, fit his mentality, but are also very, very competitive. And especially it's, it's a good mix of guys that can play a lot sooner and guys that he can develop into three to four year guys down the road. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's the one thing I keep going back to is that this class has that kind of like old school Louisville vibe to it, where it's a lot of guys who are going to be three and four year players. And, you know, you can make the argument that you'd want to see more four and five star players and guys who are one or two and, and out. But uh, look at that team that won a championship for Louisville in 2013. Uh, I know it was kind of a perfect storm and you get all of that talent at the same time, but you're talking about a team that's primarily seniors and juniors and, and year after year, we see teams win with veteran guards, uh, with veteran players uh, from, you know, you, obviously you have some young pieces sprinkled in, but Chris Mack has to find to find a way to get some guys who are going to stay for a while so he can kind of build that roster up. And I think he's done a good job in this class. Um, and, and for the sake of the class, obviously I know Gabe Witsenitzer is not uh, a part of the 2021 class, but I think that uh, he is a huge ad addition and he is the first true Chris Mack big man that I've seen. And I've been like, yeah, that's, that's a lot like what I saw at Xavier with uh, Matt Stainbrook and Sean O'Mara. Like he is definitely that prototype Chris Mack big man. And, and I put him in 21 because obviously he's going to red shirt. Uh, right. But I love, I love the class. L Ellis is the star. You already saw talk about him being an NBA prospect. I love it. I love it. I don't, I don't think he's going to go pro. He said that himself, but I, the more publicity you can get for your recruiting, the better. Um, and so that's, that's right. huge. Bryce Hopkins is going to be potentially a five-star player by the time this is all said and done. Uh, and then you have Bobby Pettiford, who we all have been in agreement. Like this dude is the closest thing to Peyton Siva we've seen at point guard for Louisville since Peyton Siva. Well, I think that's the other similarity between these two new coaches, right? Between Satterfield and Chris Mack, you can point to so many different parallels, but the, the recruiting aspect is wild, right? Because they're not just landing really good players with, with better ratings online uh, from recruiting sites. They're, they're essentially landing guys that they see early, right? Like I feel like there's so many coaches in football that follow Satterfield and his staff and who they offer mm -hmm. and then watch that kid because Satterfield is such an early recruiter of, of really, really good talent. Like he finds the kids that then eventually blow up. Like we've heard it in multiple interviews when he was even at App State uh, about, you know, he'd, he'd landed, almost landed a kid he wanted. And then a, a much better, bigger school would come along at the last second and be like, oh, you're right. That kid is really, really good. Here's a scholarship. And then he lost him. Um, so the, the eye for talent, I think, is, is incredible for, with both these guys so far. Um, but that's the bigger question, right? We want to see the developmental side of, of all the sophomores. We want to see where that recruiting has kind of taken him the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that that's a great point that, uh, you know, it's great to land all these kids who are developmental guys who aren't going to be impact players maybe right away, right? So the 2020 class, you have DeAndre Davis and JJ Trainer, who rank outside the top 100. And while that's, uh, you know, you can kind of see that both ways. Like you can see why that's scary. Louisville's not getting a kid who's in that top 100 range, but then you can think about, well, 
trainer is but like look at him like look at his frame he can be special deandre davis has chris mack uh remy abel is a perfect comparison in my opinion for deandre davis like there you can see where what he's doing but until we see him develop uh a josh nickelberry a sammy williamson an aiden agahan i think those are the guys like right. jalen weathers aiden and sam are going to be the three where we can really judge his ability to to develop players based off what we see from year one to year two. And until then, you know, the, the numbers are great and you can talk about getting for your guys, but if you can't develop those guys, you're going to turn into a Colorado or you're going to turn into um, a Penn state. Like you're going to have four year guys coming in the program and every four years you might have the ability to make the tournament, but every other year you're going to be, you're going to be middle of the, of the pack at best because you're developing 12 players at the same time. Like, so my point being a long-winded way of saying he's got to develop this talent. We have to see that he can do it. And I trust he can, because when I think about, I know I talk about Xavier a lot, uh, you know, and whatever, you guys make fun of me for, for thinking about talking about how my, I had a friend that played for Xavier, whatever. Like I watched him play a lot and uh, he developed his talent really well there. I mean, the fact that he had Edmund Sumner and Trevion Blewett and JP Makura, JP Makura looks like the most average basketball player ever. Uh, like I'm being dead serious. You see him and you're like, that dude can't ball. And then he's, he's, he's absolutely ridiculous on the floor and he's a killer. Like he's an absolute killer. And that's what Chris Mack can develop. And we just, we haven't seen it yet because he's had, well, maybe, maybe we have seen it. I don't know. Uh, is there a guy that stands out to you as like, he's gotten so much better since Chris Mack got here. Like, I think you could, you could talk about some who have, who haven't BJ King, Darius Perry come to mind pretty quickly, but you know, Malik. But, but that's kind of the thing though, right? Is it's hard to judge a newer coach and discuss the the subject of development when it's guys that are already kind of set in their ways from a former staff and guys that kind of want to do it their way, but they'll listen to the coach. But at the same time, you know, I still want to do it my way. He doesn't have a, a fresh batch of guys that he can like mold right out the bat, you know? So I think it's a little tough to, for me to pick because like we watched Enoch not really develop right from I mean year yeah year one of back to year two yeah exactly and the same thing with Jordan but but those guys I mean I think we're already so set in their ways you know if, if that makes sense in terms of true development from the ground up uh so exactly I, yeah I think you're, back you're to your point on. it's really going to be like the Nickelberries the Aidens those kind of guys uh that we're going to really keep an eye on uh, to see if, you know, does this development look kind of like what he did at Xavier? Yeah, and and if you talk about developing of talent, like that was always Rick Pitino's specialty, right? He brings in a guy uh, in year one, you see glimpses. Year two, they become a solid role player. Year three, they're a starter. Year four, they're a star. Uh, and sometimes, obviously, that timeline was accelerated a little bit, depending on who you're talking about. But Peyton Siva, Russ Smith, Stephen Van Treese, um, Mango Mathieu, Montrez Harrell, the list goes on and on of guys that Patino got as raw players who had talent and developed into potential. I mean, some of those guys, most of them played in the NBA. Mango Mathieu played in the NBA. Like, if we're yeah. going to talk about talent development, like, we have to give Rick Patino a, a medal for that because Mango Mathieu might be the worst basketball player I've ever seen in year one at Louisville. I mean, he was terrible. He, he by the end of the time he was here, I would want that dude on my team, my team, ten out of ten times. But his first two years, he couldn't catch the basketball. I mean, it, it was it was like at times you're like, what 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 did Patino see? 
we eventually ended up seeing that. But, uh, you know, if if we don't see a step forward in Aiden Gahan or uh, uh, Sam Williamson is the one, I think even more than, than Aiden, there's going to be some questions about whether Mac can develop talent or not. And uh, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because – I think that, that so quickly Louisville fans have been judging Chris Mack and we've, we've, they've been harsh on him for no reason. Um, so I don't know if you can hear this behind me, Alex, there are fireworks going off like crazy in Oldham County. We are, we are what three days away from the 4th of July. There's gotta be an ordinance put into place here. I'm, I'm going to do my best Rudiner impersonation. There's got to be some kind of government action at some point against fireworks three days ahead of time. Like, you know, what are we doing, man? What are we doing? My daughter is sleeping. I don't want to have to go out and yell at people, but I'm going to have to. Well, in, in living um, downtown, I totally get, because we've had, you know, fireworks essentially like every, basically every night for the last probably month or so, I'd say. So it's gotten a little Same more. Here. Um, I've gotten a little more used to it. The dog's gotten a little more used to it, thankfully. But um, yeah, to your point, it's not fun to deal with, especially as a young parent or someone with a large pet or pets. Um, yeah. But if you hear that in the background, it's coming from both of us. So it's yeah. That, yeah. So uh, really people are tuning in here and not only getting a great podcast, but they're getting a, a firework episode as well. So uh, you're welcome. We didn't plan for that, but you're welcome. Uh, I want to move into the last topic here. I think that was a great discussion on basketball recruiting and I want to flip it to football recruiting. Same thing. We haven't gotten a chance to really dive into the specifics of the class and the last few commitments, but uh, the last two weeks, Alex, they've gotten two players a day, uh, two days in a row. I've called, I've called it the double piece. So they've double pieced twice in the last two weeks. Uh, and, and it, and by all accounts, it seems like it's going to probably happen again this week. Uh, but we've seen multiple players commit, uh, coming to uh, thinking about trying to walk my way backwards here. Con you had Connie Walker, you had um, Derek Edwards, you've had Michael Gonzalez on the offensive line, Demetrius Cannon, um, Jackson, Jackson Hamilton. Hamilton. The list has gone on and on of players that have committed. Uh, and Louisville continues to take the step towards potentially putting together their best football recruiting class in program history. Um, and we didn't dive in here, Alex, when we get into this, we didn't dive into the, like, all the way back to 1940s of recruiting. Uh, we went we went kind of in what I like to call the common area, uh, or common era, for at least for us, right? We're younger fans, uh, right. but 2005 was the cutoff date here. And as of right now, I'm trying to pull up Louisville's football class for 2021 to give you the exact ranking, but they've got, I know they've got 18 we are commitments. 19th nationally. 19 nationally fourth, and fourth in the ACC right now with, and you've with, got, and, and here's the most important part, right? This is the part that like Keith Wynn, uh, from like knowing him the first day I met him, he was like, you got to look at the ratings. It's all about the ratings. Individual ratings are what dictate, uh, the entire class, right? So it doesn't matter if you have 30 guys, it's great. But if they have a lower rating, it doesn't really matter. So the important part is not only are we nationally ranked still, it's still fourth in the ACC, but our average rating right now is an 86, um, 36, right? So 0.8636, which is, doesn't mean much, but from the previous year, we are literally um, a point, almost a whole point above that as of right now. And we're still looking at adding a few more high level guys. Uh, so 
you know, not t- trying to steal your thunder, but I mean, I think this definitely does have the potential to be one of the best classes uh, that Louisville football has seen. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head here. And the the big thing that I think most fans would call attention to right away is the the two four stars that sit at the top of the class. And we've talked about this several times. If I'm Tre- Trevion Cooley, I'm calling up two four seven Sports and Rivals and ESPN every day trying to get that rating fixed for that point three percent or whatever it is that keeps him from being a four star. Right. How how are you one of the top rated running backs now nationally, but still a, a three star? in the composite ratings i just think yeah they they got to do some updates and you know everybody's still at home there's no sports going on so they need to kind of hurry that update up yeah and and these rankings are going to be subject to change based off of what we see you know from whatever a high school season looks like uh this year but you know louisville is sitting like you said in a place where they are close to putting the 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 finishing touches on the best class in program history and we're still talking about two guys out there who have the potential to be game changers on each side of the ball and Shadur Sanders and Prince Colley, uh, that Louisville seems to be sitting, you know, pretty, 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 you know, I should pretty, pretty. They're sitting pretty good at this point in their, their recruitment. Um, pretty, pretty is, that's a pretty badass way of saying we're doing good. Like it's a lot know, of pretty, recruitment's pretty, pretty. Yeah. No. Um, I think another guy that it's wild to watch, not only that, but like to see the going back to like the social media edits, if you keep track, like there's been so many high level guys, even if Lowell isn't their ultimate choice and destination. Um, I forgot, maybe it was Kenny Walker, maybe it was Collie Prince. I forgot which guy it was, but there was like a top five, right? And it was Lowell, like Oklahoma, uh, Alabama, like all these super elite football programs. And then you see Lowell like smack dab in the middle of those five. I think Georgia was in there too. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's just Prince impressive College, how, yeah. how deep they are in on these elite guys, you know, not only identifying the, the early talent, but really going after the high level players as well and being competitive with them. Um, I think Amari Huggins, Bruce, we've seen, you know, things go back and forth between us and Virginia tech. Um, but from, you know, all signs, it, it looks like we still might really have a shot um, to pull that, from VT. So it's kind of exciting to see Louisville compete with these other really solid programs and and start snatching guys just after one successful season uh, after having a terrible one before that. Yeah. And I I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with um, commitments towards the early signing period in December, because you got to think a lot of these kids are going to schools that they've not visited, uh, that they've not met the staff in person. So I think that there's going to be some change. I don't think the class that we see right now is what's going to sign in December. Uh, but for Louisville to be in a top five that includes Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, you know, the combination of schools, I mean, that's where they have to be, I'd say, twice a year. I think it, twice every year they have to be in on guys like that um, at the top because that's what, you know, Petrino did it early on, right? He landed Peanut Whitehead, who was the number one defensive end in the country, Brian Brown, Michael Bush. Um, the the list goes on and on of, of big wins Louisville's had throughout the years. Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson, like they have to be able to grab one or two of those every year and then fill their class out with uh, the, the way that they're doing right now with high level three and four star guys who are going to fit, you know, roles and play, exa- you know, be a niche on your, your offense or defense in whatever type of way. Uh, but if I had to, if you had to guess, Alex, uh, what do you think 
like I, I don't know I don't when you think about Louisville football recruiting so I feel like we're a little bit jaded right because Louisville you talk about talent development Louisville's brought in a ton of guys like Sheldon Rankins Jalen Smith the list goes on and on of guys who are low rated recruits who they've developed so you you kind of you you kind of mold that together and you think of that player as what they were as a senior not they were as a freshman and, and the rankings kind of can fall victim of that and the way that you kind of look at them. But if you had to guess, what is the highest that since 2005 you think Louisville has rated recruiting-wise as a class? If you just had to guess without looking or any kind of information, what would be your guess? I was definitely muted for that answer. But I would, I would probably say mid-30s um, would, would be my off the top of my head guess. I, I know I saw that um, – because I think it was randomly recently too. It wasn't even that long ago we had technically our our highest rated class. Um, but yeah, I'd, yeah, I think it would be mid thirties would probably be the best. We never have cracked the the top thirty, I don't think, and definitely not the top twenty five. So interestingly enough, you're you're wrong on both fronts. So in two thousand and six, that would be what would technically, I guess, be deemed as Louisville's best recruiting class. I, I don't know if you would be able to say all time. I would assume so, because if you think about what Louisville football was for the longest time, uh, so 24th nationally, and you're talking about a guy in Peanut Whitehead and then Brandon Heath. Uh, but after that, there's a bunch of names that I really don't know. Like I legit don't know half of the names on this list, which goes to show you how fickle college football recruiting can be. Um, but 24 is uh, the highest that I know of. Jeez, um, I did not realize 30- 30 is the highest most recently, which, which was that 2018 class, Petrino's last real class with C.J. Avery, a um, couple of those other big-name guys. I, I believe that was a 2018 class. But uh, they got a lot of really good players who, you know, are still a part of this team. Jairus Prince, Robert Hicks, Trinell Troutman, Marlon Character, Marcus Riley. So it's a year after that. Um, that's the best class Louisville has gotten since the 30th is the, the ranking that they got. But since 2011. And okay. I, I think that there's a realistic chance if you get Jader Sanders and Prince Collar, you could be talking about a top 20, right? Is that unrealistic? If some of these guys like uh, Trevion Cooley and Zen Mikowski, some of these guys get the bump that, that you've heard about, like that's not unrealistic. I think if, if they get the, yeah, the development bump and the updates, I think that'll come. We'll get at least one to two more four stars just from that. Um, but I think it'll be it, it would have to be a combo of that and then just getting every player remaining like on their wish list, like on the top every top player they wanted ends up panning out and never which, and doesn't flip at the end. Uh, this which is, is rare, the, but right. That's the worry that I have is who's gonna flip at some point. Um, but I'm the nerd who keeps track of everyone that's got an offer. Um, what they're doing, you know, visit wise, part of, part of my job as a site manager is to know that stuff. And so that's part of it. The other half is I'm a recruiting nerd who just finds that stuff interesting. Um, but you're right. This class very well could have flips. You could add more guys some of these guys could get bumped down. Some could get bumped up. So there's really no way to really predict if this is going to be the best class of all time. But, um, you know, when you look back at that 2011 class that, that Charlie Strong brought in, I think they had like, I'd have to go back and count, but I think they had nine or 10 players go pro off that team, off that class. Teddy Bridgewater, yeah, Charles Gaines. Uh, I mean, the list got Gerard Holloman, Eli Rogers, Devontae Parker, Jamon Brown, Calvin, Calvin Pryor, Terrell Floyd. Like that class was loaded. And obviously we can't really judge if the, it's the best class of all time until we see it all the way through. But based off numbers, if they get Sanders and Collie, 
there's no reason to believe that the jump next year couldn't be go get a couple of five-star guys. Like next year could be the group where they go out and they get the top 15 class. And they're the one school who goes from being a middle of the pack recruiting team to the next Florida state or the next, uh, you know, the next Penn state, whoever it is that, you know, it's kind of up there in the recruiting rankings. Uh, I don't think that's unrealistic. We'll have to see if that'll happen or not, but. No, I don't think that's unrealistic. And I also think that's, that's the staff's expectation on top of that. Like the way you hear Satterfield talk uh, as well, like that's what he expects in the coming years. Yeah. And I mean, look, you think of their, their staff. I mean, Court Dennison is a guy who recruited the number one player in the country at Oregon several years ago. Like he is a guy who can recruit five-star players, but the problem Louisville has right now is those five-star players aren't quite ready to pick up that phone call yet. The Louisville, it doesn't carry the same weight as a Clemson or a Florida state or a Miami uh, Louisville still got some work to do. And I think this season, if you can go out there and, and go 10 and two or nine and three, I think you're going to have a lot of guys who are interested in playing for you, especially because I've always said, Alex, that the number one recruiting pitch right now to Prince Colley, Shadur Sanders is why can't you come here and play right away? You got to go to LSU, Alabama. You're probably going to redshirt. You're going to be sitting behind a guy for two or three years. Come to Louisville where you will be the guy. Uh, you will be the number one position player from day one almost. I mean, obviously you have to earn it, but why can't Prince Colley come in and start in year one where if he goes to Alabama, he's got to wait for the next guy to go pro for he gets his chance. Like well, that's, think, that's, a, that's where you got to win. You got to win those every couple of times. And I think it's on both fronts too, right? Because we, we haven't even mentioned the walk-on aspect that how much Satterfield appreciates and respects and loves uh, walk-on opportunities. I think I even read from like Jody Dimling a few hours ago or something. Uh, there's an article about how many they're having next season. And I think it's like, I think it's just 20 or something like that's insane. But I mean, to have that many, cause you know, a couple are going to pan out. There's, there's always going to be in my mind, a Marshawn Ford um, somewhere there right? That really, really wants it. And, and so I have no problem after seeing the capabilities of the development that he's done uh, with some of the walk-ons, I have no problem. Um, like you mentioned, if you're a five-star, let's go. If you're a walk-on, you get the same exact opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any closing thoughts of anything we've talked about? Kanye West, Elon Musk, Rick Pitino. No, I have a really random, uh, I have a really random global basketball fact though. Okay. Yes. Show. The Alex fun fact of the night. Do, 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 fun fact. There's your music for the We're for your have segment to work here. On that intro, but that's fine. Um, so check this out. We always joke that Louisville basketball is cursed. Uh, whether you talk about the scandals or heartbreaks or anything else, uh, the team was established in 1911, and the current all-time record right now is uh, we are 1825 in out of let's see. Yeah, we are 1825 and 915. Uh, so we've won 1825 games and lost 915 games with an average of 6.66 or 66.6. So a little hex on Louisville basketball until we actually go into next season. Um, so in fact, when people joke Louisville might be cursed, they literally might be cursed, at least <laughs> as of right now. Um, that's all I have. All right, Alex, we're going to have to make this a recurring segment because that was a fire statistic. I'm not going to lie to you. That was a lot better than what I was expecting. I think that you're capable of bringing that same fire every week with a fun fact. Uh, like you're, We're going to need you to become our own Kelly Dickey here 
So get your spreadsheets out, get your statistic books and start tracking this stuff so that in 15 years, we can have all the statistics we need. Got it. Well, we thank you guys for tuning into the show. Uh, it's been a fun couple of weeks here uh, with the guests we've had, and we expect that to continue. Um, hopefully in the next week, we can officially announce and release what we're up to and what we have planned for this summer. Uh, but Alex, you and I have been working tirelessly behind the scenes to try to get the guest list lined up and to prepare this next phase of our podcast um, for the summer and and just in general as we kind of step into the future and and. I think we've got some good things in store that people are going to want to pay attention to. Yeah. Great guest list lineup for us. Okay. Yeah. So, well, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.